Losing a spouse, especially in aviation, is going to 100% affect your career because my career got side-wailed from somebody who didn't want me flying. I made that assumption that he had an understanding about what the demands were going to be like on his end. Um, and when that reality came up to that moment and he's sitting there with a the newborn in his hands going, oh my God, she's gone and I'm here by myself, I cannot do it. Play that out in your head. How does that, how is that gonna work? What are you gonna do if that moment comes about? Basic communication between two people in a marriage um, affects the happiness of the rest of your life and a career. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Today's guest is an author, business professional, a professor right here at Metro State University in Denver, an airline pilot, and probably the hardest job of them all. She's a mother. Today, we welcome Erica Armstrong to the Forge. Erica, we're, we're so thrilled to have you on the show. And uh, it's funny because you and I share, as I was kind of going through your background, I've gotten to know you a little bit. I'm like, wow, you and I share a couple of small things in common. Uh, first, let's just say we both put ourselves through college working, I think, I had three jobs. I think you had three jobs. We, we both started off, uh, coincidentally enough, as journalists um, earlier in our careers. And, um, and then before I became a journalist, I actually, more than anything in the world, wanted to be a pilot. Uh, I wanted to be an F-16 pilot, a fighter pilot, right? I, didn't, I had big goals back then. Good but choice. Good I good know. Plan. For you, you actually did become a pilot. And that's what we want to talk to you a little bit about today. You started off, uh, if I go through your career a little bit, you started off flying uh, charter jets back in, and correct me if I have any of this wrong, back in the 80s. And then in the 90s, you went to work for Northwest Airlines. Um, and you started off as a flight engineer, but then you quickly became a pilot, which is incredible, and an international pilot at that. These are like not normal aspirations for a young girl back in the 1980s and 90s. So uh, what prompted this career decision for you uh, and would you do it again? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, both of you, Ron and, and Tara. And um, ironically, um, it's the reason why you even started off with um, carrying these jobs. Um, I had two jobs at the time, and just like you were saying, trying to put myself through college and um, coming up with all the money uh, for it, and I still didn't have enough money to pay to rent and tuition, and um, I didn't think I would be a good pole dancer, so I decided to <laughs> try to find another job that would fit in that had really weird hours, um, and of course, airports are open 24-7, 365, right? So I found a front desk position at a local airport at the Flying Cloud Airport, um, had no interest in aviation. Um, they just happened to have a job that was, they had hours from two to 10 p.m. I'm like, that's perfect. So I walked into this job on the first day, not knowing anything. I didn't know that there was a phonetic alphabet. I saw the Unicom there and the, you know, they're asking me to, you know, answer the Unicom. I didn't even know how to press the push to talk button at the time. So, um, and that's unfortunate because I want to be able to expose aviation to girls younger. Um, I don't know about you, but growing up and I grew up in the Midwest, 
and we would have career day in elementary school and they would take the boys in one room they'd take the girls in the other room and they'd all you know give us all these examples of of possible jobs and I just remember being you know nine ten years old going really this is it is this my these are my choices um, so I kind of fell into aviation by accident um, you know I, I just started learning it um, knowledge and um, is power knowledge is what makes you go try something else so I got exposed to the environment I started learning about the industry learning about aircraft uh, that were pulling in and they're just hanging out with the line guys while they were studying for their written exams I started helping them and quizzing them but as I'm quizzing them, I'm, I'm listening to myself going wait I understand this there's some some illusion that you have to be some sort of rocket scientist to do this and mm. You know, the knowledge base is huge, but, um, you know, we all start from somewhere and uh, that's all it took is one tipping point, one moment to say, wait a second, I think I can do this. Um, and then it, it prompted me to go tr take one flying lesson. And from there I was hooked. I, you know, I haven't looked back since. So um, that's all it takes is that one moment. And that's what I'd love to be able to do is share that one moment where someone, men, boys and girls will consider that one moment to say, hey, maybe this is something uh, that I'd like to try. Mm. Yeah, so powerful. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so funny, uh, you know, as, as me being a pilot myself, you know, sometimes people will say, well, that's the, the $50,000 ride, right? And when you take that first ride and you get hooked and then a lot of money follows after that to get your training. And as you, as you know, well, Erica now, so I think from my research, I, I read somewhere that 5% of airline pilots are women. Is that, is that right, Erica? And, and I would say, What's it like to kind of find your way to the top of an industry where 95% of the people that you work with are men? What's that, what's that like? And uh, what kind of challenges did you face? <laughs> um, I thought you said we only had 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Um, it, you know, it's a progression through aviation, of course. You know, I started off just flying, you know, uh, Red Cross, single engine junk, um, you know, a lot of single pilot stuff. Then I moved up into air ambulance. Then you start moving into the crew environment where you do start working with uh, other people. And, um, and uh, it's definitely a great fascination into the human condition as far as CRM and communications between men and women. Um, but I've grown, I grew up, so I'm adopted. So I've spent my whole life kind of observing people and um, you know what makes a pilot what characteristics draw someone is that nurture is that nature um, are we born with that ability and that desire or is that something that you're exposed to so um, I've always paid attention to how I interact with other people and how people react to me so I think that helped me when I got into the crew environment but one of the key things I learned, um, it took a long time, and unfortunately I was already at the airlines, but especially like on the 727, when there was a flight engineer and two pilots up front, there was three of us, walking in that cockpit door for the first time with people I don't know, and they've never flown with a woman before. So, um, you know, there's always that awkward moment where they walk in, they're in the middle of a dirty joke, and they're like, <gasps> you know, how do we behave? Um, so the reality is I actually had the power in that situation. Um, I was used to working only with men and walking in and only seeing men. So when I came in that cockpit door, hey, it was just another day for me. For them, they were off their center, off mm. their game, because they're like, well, you know, how am I supposed to behave? So, you know, 
I found and discovered that as long as I walked in that door, I did my job, I did it well, I was happy to be there, happy to be with them. Um, even the misogynists that I had to fly with, I still made the best of it. Um, there's nothing I can do to change those people. Um, but what I can do is just continue being professional and, um, you know, jumping in there. So it's, you kind of build confidence because you're so used to the environment, you're used to the situation. Um, I, right before COVID, we, I was attending a big safety conference with all you know, pilots. It was a room full of 500 people and there was probably only 15 women in that room. And we had these breakout sessions and there's no other men in there. And I remember sitting down and just you know, ready to listen. And then somebody came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and they're like, what's it like to be the only woman in the room? I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even notice. I didn't even acknowledge it because I'm just so used to that. Um, so, you know, do you get used to it? Yeah, you, you really kind of do. You know how to just, you know, be in that situation. You're there for a purpose, just like they are. Um, so there's really no difference. So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's interesting. It, it's getting better. The percentages are getting better. So um, I think of all the ATPs, the airline transport pilot rated. Um, Certificates issued were up to about 7%. So those are that can be capped and qualified. But I currently am working in business aviation industry right now. I've worked with like 500 different flight departments and I'm seeing a few more women in this pipeline. So those, we're talking about flying corporate jets and um, maybe air ambulance. So they're in the pipeline maybe to come up into the airline world. So you might see a little bit more in the next couple of years, but um, it's still after all the efforts that we've given in the last 10, 15 years, we still don't see a significant change. Um, so we could spend a whole other eight hours just on that topic alone. Yeah, I, I mean, this is something we hear a lot. Uh, I mean, it happens in the, the world of tech. It happens in the world of engineering. Ron's very familiar with that uh, as his background. It, it, we don't have a lot of female, or I shouldn't say we don't have a lot. We don't have an equal amount of female CEOs starting companies. But, you know, you talk about having gone through flight school and being around the men that were like, you don't really belong here. And if they weren't saying it, they might've been making you feel that way. That was a while ago. Do you think that women and men are still kind of going through the same thing today where it's like, you don't really belong in these uh, male dominated fields. And if you do, do you have any advice for uh, young women kind of starting out in those areas today? Yeah, so I, you know, I wanna be realistic. No matter what, you're still gonna have that element of the population that just has no emotional intelligence. They're, they're just, truly, they're gonna be misogynist. They're, they're gonna hate that you're there. I can't tell you how many people I've walked in and they are just absolutely just rude, um, almost to the point where it's, uh, it's unsafe to be in a crew environment where they mm -hmm. just, they hate you just because of your, um, that you're a female. So, but, to give everyone a little more confidence in it, of the percentages of people I worked with, you know, 90% of them were professional. They, they didn't care who I was as long as I did my job, I did it well, that I, you know, it was someone that you could you know, work around all day long. Um, and that 10%, no matter what industry, you're gonna have it. Um, the problem with aviation, of course, that you're locked in the cockpit next to somebody for 14 hours at a time. And then if you're in corporate aviation, when I flew um, corporate, you go to the layover and then you have to spend five days on the ground with this person too. So, you know, you're seeing them at dinner. And um, so it's, it can be very complex in, in that interpersonal communications, but you'll find 
that, you know, especially when you're coming into the bigger companies, that there is a world of support around you. The men too. I mean, it's like on the 727, if I was flying with particularly, you know, difficult misogynists, I would always, you know, listen to how the other male pilot in there was speaking and communicating. And you could see them over overcompensate for the other jerk in the, in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's important to remember to use the people around you because every situation is going to be unique. So I hear people giving blanket answers and that just doesn't work. Um, every situation is going to be unique. Um, it's still there. I just saw yesterday a Southwest Airlines pilot, he's 60 now, so he's retired, um, was convicted of doing some really bad things in the cockpit um, with a female uh, co-pilot in there. And um, I, I feel for her because I know how that trapped feeling and you're wondering, how am I going to handle the situation? Um, so there, there truly are so many variables, but make sure you use that resource and that group of people around you because most everybody in the aviation world is professional, um, but you, you're going to have to find a way to deal with them because they're going to be there. It's like having forced roommates, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stuck yeah. with you. Yeah. All right, Erica. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm a pilot, uh, certainly not at your level, but even when I go up flying and I have a passenger and, and my airplane only holds two people, so I can only have one passenger, but I always, I always remember it, it shifts. The, the difference between me flying solo and me having this responsibility of a, of a, a passenger, their life is in my hands. Um, that's, that's a, for me, that's a big jump. And I always think about what's it like to have an airplane with, you know, a hundred or more people behind you and all of those lives are dependent on you. What is I mean, what does that feel like? And, and how, is that something, I assume that's something you just build up to. Yeah, it, it is something that I've made sure that I pay attention to. Um, for me and depending on what you're flying to, it's a much more intimate thing because when you're flying corporate, your passenger is just a couple feet behind you. Um, you know, and when you're flying air ambulance under certain circumstances, you have a, you put a personal pressure on yourself to get the mission done, especially when I was flying air ambulance. Um, it's a balance between, you know, fighting the elements. So those, those kind of flights are two o'clock in the morning, you, you get woken up out of a dead sleep. You have to be at the airport in 20 minutes. Um, and get that airplane all by yourself. You have to flight plan, um, you know, if there's any kind of catering or anything, get your passengers on board. In the wintertime, I would have to snow plow in front of the hangars, get that airplane out of the hangar by myself. So there's all these other elements that come along with that connection with your passengers. Um, when I was flying at the airlines, I would have this little routine just for myself. Um, we talk about situational awareness um, and that's you know kind of the root, root cause of many accidents and not actually understanding the situation. So in order to raise my own situational awareness, I would do two things. When I walk on the airplane for the first time, I'd always tap the door to the, en to the entrance into the airplane just to say, okay, I'm now the pilot. I have to leave all my problems behind me. You know, if I'm, you know, had difficulties at home or traffic or whatever, you take that one moment to say, okay, it's all behind me now. I'm just a pilot. And the next thing I would do is right before I'd close the cockpit door, or the flight engineer would close it. I would take one second. I would look back down at 173 passengers just for one moment to remind myself that I'm in charge of them and that it's my responsibility to be present and everything that's going on here. So it would take less than a split second, but it would just 
get my mindset on that next level to say, okay, uh, it's not just about me. Um, you know, I, I'm now here for all of those people and I have to make my decisions based on what's behind me. Where, where does your motivation come from? Do you think in the sense of, I mean, this is a pretty unconventional lifestyle being a pilot in general, let alone one of very few women that are, that are piloting. Uh, what motivated you not to quit? And did you ever think about quitting? I used to think about quitting every day. At <laughs> 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 my, my other job, I teach students um, at a university. So I see the dropout rate I, I, of the students that come into my class. Unfortunately, about 80% of them are going to drop out mm -hmm. because no matter who you are, you're going to have repeated moments of your time where you want to quit, where it is too much. It feels like too much. Um, what I kind of see is right around the 500 hour mark. Um, you don't have enough to get a job, but you've put so much money into it already. Um, you know, you feel committed, but you just, you're wondering what that next step is. So um, yeah, I, I definitely, there was a couple moments where I, I, I thought I was gonna quit. Um, I had switched jobs. My boss um, all of a sudden told me that she didn't feel that um, her corporate clients would feel comfortable with a woman pilot, even though she convinced me to leave a job that I was flying mm -hmm. at. Um, so I just, I've had those dark moments where I'm like, you know what, I just, I can't get through this. Um, I, I guess the motivation for those is that um, even growing up, I was just very independent. I just, I was a tomboy. I was outside all day long. I just did things by myself. Um, you know, I spent all my summers up in Northern Minnesota and I just, is that internal thing that says, you know what, I still, I wanna prove all those people wrong. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't a, a positive incentive, but uh, it was uh, still that incentive. And um, I, you know, sitting behind a desk and, um, or in a cubicle for the rest of my life wasn't something that I felt like I could, I could even do. So um, when I talk to my students now about these challenges that they're gonna have and what's gonna get you through them, we have an opportunity now to network. And I know that sounds you know, superficial, but it's so important to have that community that can talk about all those challenges because you're gonna have them. Um, and even better, just in the last five years, people are using social media in a good way. Um, there are some like Facebook groups uh, and other, um, we've got the 99s Women in Aviation, but just more on a daily conversation. There's platforms now where you can come in and look and see, okay, this person's having that challenge. I've had that same thing. And then you get to see a hundred people, not, not always good, but you get to see all the responses. And just having that moment where you have a connection with somebody that you don't know to say, okay, we're having, this isn't just me. Um, Cause that's what I see with my students. You're gonna have those days where you can't do anything right. You're gonna slam every landing. You're gonna do everything wrong. You're gonna walk out of that flight lesson going, I, I am a complete failure. There's no way I can, I'm gonna learn this. Um, but you need to go back, take a deep breath and say, okay, damn it, I'm gonna try it one more time. And you'll find that you've learned so much just because you did all those crappy things the other day. Um, Cause you will lay there in bed thinking about it going, how did I you know, screw that up so badly? Um, but you're learning, you don't realize it, but just you thinking through that process, um, you'll come back a little bit better. And I'm sure Ron's had a bad landing here and there. And <laughs> Have you Ron? Have you had one? I'm trying to think of how to get. Oh, land. come on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I've had a few bad moments. Uh, I have not flown with Ron yet. Uh, No, not sure that's going to happen. You look over your past year ago. Are are your are your teeth still intact? Oh, geez, (laughs) that bad, huh? Uh, Yeah, landing is is a challenge in itself. I always I always say it's probably the hardest part of. Well, that's what that's what kills me is the passengers only judge you on the landing. That's a minuscule. There's so part. many variables. So yeah. It's terrible. I'm, I'm actually so thinking variables. of that. Every time I fly, I make an immediate judgment. Yep. I wait for that landing and I'm like, all right, it's a good pilot. Yep. Or yep. what the hell is wrong with that pilot? <laughs> right, I'm so can, sorry, Erica. Complicated approach, single engine, almost everything's not working, you know, but you pound it on a little too hard. And they're like, oh, what a terrible pilot. <laughs> exactly. How yeah. Funny. And even the best, I've seen the best pilots make bad landings. It, it happens. And so uh, I don't care how good you are, none of them, you're, you're never perfect. So let's go back to this, this idea. You know, I, I actually have a student in my class right now that is asking me advice of, should he pursue a career in aviation? And of course I, I didn't take your path, but I have a lot of friends that did. And so I talked to them a lot and, and I've heard the horror stories and I know you don't make, you know, all the things you were just talking about, you got to go out there and you got to plow, you know, people don't realize at the lower end of being a pilot, you, you get paid nothing and you got to do all these jobs. Um, and so what, I mean, is it, do you think it was worthwhile to go through all of that adversity that you went through? I think you were kind of alluding to that, that all that adversity to, to climb that ladder, because once you kind of start to get up in the upper echelon, it, it starts to make it worthwhile, but it's hard it's hard to get there. So any regrets on, on your path? And, and are you, I, I bet you're really happy you didn't quit, right? <laughs> Very. And what most people don't realize is there's so many different paths up to the cockpit and there's so many different niches. Every semester, my students, I make them all do the thing where they stand up and introduce themselves, but I ask them where, what they want to do. And they almost inevitably all say they want to be an airline pilot. So, right. When you think you want to be a pilot, you think that's your end goal. That is not the case anymore, especially now that I've gone through part 135 business aviation um, and I've done the airline thing. Um, I talk to most of my students about um, trying and uh, having business aviation as your end goal. Um, and they're like, you can see their eyes glaze over. They're like, what are you even talking about? Think about flying a Gulfstream for some rich dude um, and you get to travel with them you know, to Hawaii and Australia and New Zealand, which are places I got to fly to um, when I was flying corporate. So um, there are different pathways and each one takes a different personality. I know people that need to be in the cargo world. They need to be flying in the middle of the night all by themselves. Um, They would not be happy flying passengers every day. They'd be diverting and kicking people off all the time. Um, So you have to know in yourself what makes you happy. Um, The other thing I see happen too often somebody puts the blinders on they know they think they want to be an airline pilot they you know get to where they they need to be and all of a sudden they realize gosh you know i'm really not happy here instead of trying something different or doing something different they sit and complain and they hate their jobs Um, i I saw a lot of that in the air ambulance world somebody gets a great job as an air ambulance before they're married before they have kids and at that moment it fit their lifestyle fit their happiness level and then they've hung on to it while the kids come along and you get married and all of a sudden now you're missing all your, your holidays and um, they hate their jobs. And you know that, that gets passed on to the other generation that inquires about it. Um, they talk about how, how bad it is. So um, yeah, 
don't tell anybody, but it's easier to fly a highly complex airplane like a Boeing or an Airbus. Those are easier to fly than an old, you know, twin engine Cessna 402. Mm. Uh, they really are, especially single pilot. Man, I tell you what, <laughs> I'm just glad to be here that I made it through all that crap at the bottom. But that was that's what knowledge as you move along makes it feel easier, right? Um, so you have to go through that crap. You have to go through those challenges. You have to you have to love this industry. Um, you can't just kind of like it because you're going to have to sacrifice so much for it. Um, that's going to have to get you through is that that love and their passion to be in that cockpit up in the clouds. Um, you know, because you get even in the best job, you have to drudge through the paperwork and all the medical exams and the check rides. Every six months, you're back in the simulator, stressing and worrying about it. And so it's not just flying, it's all the things that come along with it. You have to you know, have a mindset for and be ready for. Uh, so it's good to talk about it so that the next generation that is considering it has in their mind. So that's not a shock. So they know it's coming so they can prepare for it. It'll kind of keep that happiness level a little bit more on an even keel. But um, yeah, you, you know, and it's getting better. You used to have to apply for food stamps the same day you applied for a regional job. Oh and, and, and I kid you not, because it, it really was it's bad. It's horrible, to Ooh. be quite honest. It's and horrible. finally, pilots put their foot down. It took a long time. Um, so you see the, the, the pay rates come up. I know COVID threw everything off track. But for those of you coming into the industry right now, it's an awesome time. We have our attrition charts that we plan out over the next 10 years. COVID just screwed it all up. And the airlines had a knee-jerk reaction, which because we, none of us knew what was going to happen, but they overshot on the pilot retirements. We retired thousands of pilots early, and they're not coming back. And they're taking all that experience and that years of knowledge and training with them. Um, and we are leaving ourselves open uh, this big gap of uh, qualified pilots that we need now for the industry. We're not ready for it, which is great for those coming in. You're going to see a lot of movement starting right about now over the next 18 months. You're going to see um, people scrambling. I know in business aviation, we're going to start to see that as the regionals start hiring again. A lot of the business aviation pilots are going to pop up to that level and leave those, uh, those cushy job openings. So. Um, yeah, check check in with me if you're about ready to hire or get hired for a job. I know some right seat stuff, um, especially in like the twin turbine world where that airplane is not required, doesn't require two pilots, but an operating specifications might. And so those are great jobs to, to get for your uh, first logbook hours for a turbine time. So it sounds like the recommendation uh, for, for my students that's asking me if you should go on that career path. Would your Would your answer be yes? Absolutely. Yes. Don't even think twice. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. All right. Fair. But I, I, I say that in jest, but you really have to do sure, some yeah. uh, it's, before you, you do it. So yeah. <laughs> it's probably more complex than that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fascinating just to kind of get a look with, you know, with COVID and, and all the lack of travel and travel restrictions, like uh, we normal people don't know what's going on in that industry. So it's really Cool to get a behind the scenes from you. Uh, let's talk about your book. Came out a few years ago. A chick in the cockpit. My life up in the air. Now I know this is not all about piloting for sure. You've got a lot, uh, a lot of different messages in this book. But we're curious what your goal was um, when you decided to write it. And I want to know: Do you feel like you, over the last few years, have you reached that goal with the messages in the book? 
I have because I still get emails daily um, with women saying, hey, I've gone through something similar. So that, mm. that, that is my, <laughs> oh, you know, right here. Yeah. Um, so I wrote that for several reasons. If you ask anybody to name a book about a woman pilot, um, you know, they'll go back to Amelia Earhart. Sure. And we need something more modern. So the bottom line was to bring women into the cockpit with me, share some stories. Um, you know, I'm in a, a book club. So part of it was to share the rest of my story with my book club. Um, it's set up so that you, a book club can uh, have a discussion about it. I included the questions in there. Um, so when we talk about the challenges of women in aviation, no matter what we do to encourage more women, the reality is that they still have a little bit heavier load to carry because until something else changes, we're still the ones that have the babies um, and uh, trying to balance that with a job that does not have the flexibility. I mean, the, the nature of the beast is you're gonna wait, be away from home. That's just the way it is. We're not gonna change that. We can't change it. We can find better ways to do scheduling and to have a more secure schedule. And you're seeing a lot of that not just for women, but the men too, they deserve to have a schedule. Uh, and that's hard to do. It took a long time, but the industry is better. Uh, even in business aviation, you're seeing a lot more uh, secured schedules. When you get hired, it's, they have a, a upfront conversation about what the, de the demands are and what the time off looks like. So that's a better way to deal with a family life uh, with a career like this. So that's something that you're gonna see changing over the, over the few years. But um, so in the, the conversation then for the book continues on with um, most women, most men, we go into a relationship not thinking about the future, of course, right? right? It's the here and now, but a career in aviation requires a very strong spouse. Um, you know, that partner in your world needs to understand how long you'll be gone, how much you'll be gone. Sometimes um, I've gone out to go pick up an airplane on a maintenance and I'm supposed to be home at six o'clock and I don't come home till 6 p.m. three days later. Having that conversation up front of what that looks like in the future, uh, you know, it's hard to get daycare for something like that. And so what do you do? You need to have a conversation up front. So part of it was to also get young women to look at that and say, okay, if you do come into aviation, what does that look like with a, with a partner? And if you decide to do the whole family thing and kids and everything else, have that in the back of your mind as you move through the world. Mm, what a great point. And you did it. Um, you had children. I mean, you're, you're very well known as a mom and, uh, and you did it. So I, I think that's great advice for women going into any industry where the numbers for women are, are low like this and very challenging. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was going to say, I listened on one of your other podcasts where you said, that's a bunch of crap when you hear, and by the way, I love this. It's a bunch <laughs> of crap when you hear this idea that you can have it all. What do you what do you think of that that phrase? And tell us more about that. It's I think it's detrimental to not be honest. I think if you're not like, and I didn't know, I, I came into this not not thinking about the whole thing and the shock of of not having that supportive um, spouse. So we can read books like Lean In, right? And and um, you know pushing into that career and and trying to do it all and everything. But the reality is. The mere fact that you're leaning in, you're not balanced, right? <laughs> you're going to be tilted one way or the other. Um, so it is, it is, it's, it's not true to say that in the aviation that you can have it all because any one given moment, something is going to be lacking. But that's part of the teeter totter. And as long as you recognize that it's going to come back the other side, 
you're going to be okay, but you're going to have those moments where you have to be away. I mean, if you go to get um, upgraded, you know, into another seat or another airplane or a new type rating, you could be gone away from home for six weeks. Um, if you get hired at a, a, a major and you're away from your base, you're away from your family that long. Um, so, you know, in the back of your mind, as long as you're prepared for that, um, and, and realize that, okay, so the, the trade-off is going to be that you're going to have a better schedule or more time off, that teeter-totter is going to come back again. Um, but at any given moment, you're not going to be balanced. It'll always be off. And um, you, you just, you're going to have to accept that um, as you move through an aviation career. I think that holds true for so many careers. Yeah. We, we like to use work-life harmony instead of work-life balance because it's always, it's always in flux. It's always moving back and forth. And and I, again, I don't agree with this idea. In fact, not only do I not agree with you can have it all, but I don't think that should be our goal because there's just some things that are more important than, than others. And so, but, but here's the thing, uh, Erica, is I, I steal this from somebody and I can't remember who said this, but is, is it, does it strike you as, as interesting that women are the only ones that are ever asked, um, how do you do it all? Why are men never asked that, right? <laughs> you know, men are, are fathers. We're, we're parents too. Uh, and and we're, we got a career just like women that, you know, that are doing both. But men are never asked that. It's just women that are asked that. Isn't that, I don't know, it's kind of funny to me, especially being a white male. I, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. The reality is you and I, all men and all women have the same challenges. We really do. I mean, you would want to be home with your family just as much as anybody else. Um, the reality is women are more willing to sacrifice their careers. And that, that really is the case. Um, and men should be asked, solu making solutions for, for you know, what the men desire too also helps the women. And from what I see, um, their desire to have a more balanced schedule has become part of a union requirement um, and making sure that there's time off and that you have notification when you're called out on a trip. Um, so, you know, those, those challenges are the, are the same for men and women. That, that is the reality. And we should spend more time, um, you know, thinking about, you know, how it's affecting men too. Um, just because this is my perspective. And so that's your perspective. I just see that um, among my peer group and the women that I talk to, they are the ones more willing. Um, when you are so off balance, you, somebody needs to make a sacrifice the women are more willing to step up and say, okay, I'm going to be the, the person at home. But I, I know some men that um, have been the, the stay-at-home parents too. So um, I, I think each generation, you're going to see a lot of different um, situations. And um, so my kids will probably look at it differently than, than I did. And their kids are going to look at it differently. And each generation is going to, it's going to move the, the bar and scale a little bit differently. Yeah, I think this past year and a half has been a, I think it's safe to say that we've experienced a whole new realm of uh, what it is to share responsibilities uh, with the home, with the kids. Um, and some of us learned that lesson. Some of us fought that le those lessons as it was happening, as we're, you know, working from home and trying to have careers and trying to homeschool and trying to, you know, everything else. What advice do you have specifically, and maybe even for your female students, specifically for the women that say, I really, really want a career. I mean, I also want kids, but should I feel bad if I say just as much as you, my significant other, I think we should split 
some some parenting um, stuff here so that we can both experience the the love of work and the love of home. But I don't feel that we're there yet. What advice would you give to them to kind of navigate that and the guilt they might feel? Yeah, it's a great question. And just the mere fact that you're asking the question is, is enormously beneficial. Um, and it, I don't know if you happen to see it, but the divorce rate has spiked um, exponentially <laughs> after yeah. COVID, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So the answer to that question is, oh my God, go for it. You will find a way. And because over the years, we women haven't found a way, they have been the ones to find the solutions to go forward. So um, for any woman coming forward saying, hey, I want the whole human experience. I want my career in aviation. I want a family. Um, I want kids. You can do it. It is going to be the hardest freaking thing you're ever going to do, but you can do it. Um, first of all, arm yourself with knowledge. Um, you know, Make sure you understand every job that you take, the, the full encompassing um, requirements of that job. And there are so many different situations and schedules and variety of flying out there. It's not just the airlines. There's so many other things out there. So maybe during those, you know, and the demands of your child will change too, right? You can go from an infant to my teenagers now who would love for me to be gone all the time. It will change and your demands will change. So be willing to change with whatever's going on in your family with your job. Um, that's one of the things I wish I had done more of is to pay attention and to be more willing to try a different um, in niche of aviation, a different job that had different requirements. I think that would have fit my uh, work-life balance a little bit better. Um, and use those, use the people around you. Um, you know, you're gonna have to network, especially with the local people. So any kind of local pilot uh, group that you can meet um, and talk to those women to find out what do they do for childcare? Um, you know, what do you do? It's just even physical things. Oh, what do you do when you're breastfeeding and all of a sudden you're away from your baby, right? There's all these little things that normally you couldn't even go find an answer to it. And there are people out there to help you. Um, the other thing that I highly recommend, which is easier said than done, is when you are deciding to commit to a spouse, get married, look at that person as somebody from the other point of view and say, can this person handle when I'm gone, <laughs> right? Look, you have to look deep. When you're in love, you got the cloud in your eyes and nothing, uh, you know, you don't see the whole big picture. It's important as long as you understand the demands that will be put on that spouse and kudos to all the aviation spouses out there because I know that they have to work so much harder because their partner is out flying men and women. Um, so kudos to them because there's not a successful pilot out there that doesn't have a successful partner um, back at home, uh, you know, helping you through that. So it, it's super important if you want that whole thing that you have the support network out there too. I think that there's so much good advice in there and, and yeah, choose, choose wisely. I know you're not a fan of uh, lean in the, the book, but I think, I think all three of us would agree that was something that Cheryl got right. She, she mentioned that in the book to say, choose your spouse carefully. Um, and I, I would agree if you don't have that support, life is hard. Life is much harder than it needs to be. And uh, yeah, I don't know, you need somebody there to, to be the, I don't know, the backup. Well, especially in the early in your career and you do not have the finances, you know, Cheryl can lean in because she's got millions of dollars sitting <laughs> in the bank account and you can pay for anything. Um, but when you're working at the regionals or just starting out and you're starting your young family, um, budget is a huge concern, especially when you have to commute. 
It's a huge burden. Um, I was based in um, six cities over two years. And so that means I had to pay to get myself out and stay at all of these places. So, you know, I had commuting from Denver to Detroit and the time I would have to go out to, you know, a day before, pay for a hotel, pay for That's all crazy. my expenses. And yeah, so um, it's definitely something you need to consider when you start base bidding um, and or upgrading, that's the that's the double-edged sword, right? Maybe you're going to upgrade to the next position, but that means you're at the bottom of your seniority schedule. So you're going to get a crap schedule where you're going to get paid more. So, you know, every step you take is going to take another thought process. And so pay attention to everything that you're doing along the way. Before we kind of wrap this up, I was kind of curious if you'd share the story of how did you come up with the title of your book, A Chick in the Cockpit? It seems, I don't know, it seems a little strange. And I, I know there's a story behind it. Do you want to share that with the listeners? Uh, it's, you know, multiple levels. It's a little tongue in cheek, right? Um, so, you know, just the mere fact we're going to call out the white elephant in the room, right? There's a woman in, in the cockpit and just the mere fact that it's called a cockpit. Um, I just love that. In one instance, you can cringe and laugh and, you know, hmm about the whole thing. So I, I kind of like the multiple levels, but, uh, um, and I've been called a chick in the cockpit a couple of times, but, but my favorite story is, uh, um, my first officer was doing a landing over in uh, in St. Louis. We were do- it was a red eye flight, so we're all super tired and um, you know watching the sun come up. And um, our Vegas flights are always full of very hungover <laughs> or currently drunk people. Uh, if you're going to have an aircraft diversion, it's usually coming out of Vegas because alcohol drives bad behavior. So my first officer, I'm watching him. He's doing this perfect approach. And we're talking about landings again, right? Everything was perfect, perfect up until that last 50 feet. And he just didn't flare. And, you know, I'm the captain, so it's still my fault. I didn't grab the yoke fast enough, but we pound that puppy on the runway. You could just feel the landing gear groan and it landed so hard. There's a couple of the oxygen masks fell in the back of the (laughs) cabin. So anyways, we're, you know, we're, my flight engineer and I are giving him grief and we're laughing and, and, uh, I, I told the, the first officer that, um, uh, you know, we're going to have to go give everybody a massage, back rubs in the back, you know, because we, we've hurt their backs. And uh, so anyways, we're, we, we, we've got the cockpit door open and all of a sudden we hear this gentleman coming, pushing his way up past the flight attendants because he's grumbling. He's going to complain about this bad landing. And sure enough, he walks in there and he sees me sitting in the captain's seat. He doesn't know that the first officer made the landing. Most people don't even realize that the first officer makes the landing every other time. Um, so anyways, he saw me up there and he's like, oh my God, there's a chick in the cockpit. And he oh, went on and wow. on and on. <laughs> so, uh, but he had dropped his the bag. Horror. Yeah. The horror. So anyways, he figured, you know, that bad landing because I was there and uh, yeah. So that one always stuck with me, but uh, he didn't know that it was the first officer, the male first officer that made the landing but uh, uh, in the end it was still my fault because I was the captain but uh, that little phrase always stuck with me um, so I thought I'd have some fun with it on the title yeah that brings new life to the title <laughs> right <laughs> I love it well our our last question for you Erica is on failure um, we'd, we'd love if you'd share your maybe one of your failures and uh, what you learned from it or what you want what advice you can give people listening because of it. I have failed so many times. I can't even begin to, to tell you. <laughs> there are some that stick out though. Um, and I just, you know, for all the, the, the 
people listening in that are just thinking about a career in aviation, I just want to tell you, you are going to fail so many times along the way. Um, on any given day, any given week, you are going to have such bad moments and self-doubt. Um, but don't forget that that failure is part of it. Um, there is not a single pilot sitting in the captain's seat that has not failed miserably multiple times. Um, and so this question actually kind of wraps back to what we were just talking about. Um, and I know this question has been presented to me during job interviews. That's kind of a, one of those cliche filter things for the job interview, but nobody answers it truthfully, right? We, right, we have our story. Right. So, but I'm gonna answer this one truthfully because it kind of wraps back into what we were talking about before. Um, truly my biggest failure was picking the, the wrong spouse. Um, you know, we still are 50% divorce rate. Um, we don't have a conversation beforehand as to why in our society this continues to be happening. And part of it is just having a conversation, um, just like what we're doing right now and having that thought process put into our kids' heads way back, learning about relationships, you know, even in elementary school, trying to understand the human condition and how we communicate. Um, but picking a spouse, especially in aviation, is going to 100% affect your career. So this does wrap around into um, what I'm talking about because my career got side railed from somebody who didn't want me flying. Um, you know, I thought knew the industry uh, was a mechanic in the industry. So I thought had an understanding. I made that assumption that he had an understanding about what the demands were gonna be like on his end. Um, and when that reality came up to that moment and he's sitting there with a newborn in his hands going, oh my God, she's gone and I'm here by myself. I cannot do it. So what do you do, right? So that, you know, play that out in your head. How does that, how is that gonna work? What are you gonna do if that moment comes about? Um, you know, what kind of support can you do for him? What can you do for yourself? So uh, my biggest failure is not considering having my partner be responsible for being a stay-at-home person. Um, it, it's not, it is an unusual dynamic and um, I just really hadn't thought that through. And it, it that, that relationship failure was my fault because I really, I knew, I saw those red flags. I, I'm a pilot. I always think I'm going to fix it, right? There's got to be a checklist for it. I know I can fix it. <laughs> Um, but there, there's some things that you can't fix. You're going to have to crash land that thing. So um, it, it's important. And I think our society needs to spend more time before people get married talking about um, those demands, those kind of communication skills uh, and tools. Give kids tools in elementary school on how to communicate. How do you control your anger? What do you do with anger? Um, you know, so that you can develop a pattern as you're growing up um, and I think as a society as a whole, we would change the dynamics of our divorce rates um, and, and those happiness levels at work. Um, I think it all there's a, comes back to the core um, basic communication between two people in a marriage um, affects the happiness of the rest of your life and a career. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, Let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.